Space in a Fresh Vibe podcast. I'm your host, Rohati, coming at you from Treaty 7 territory in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. In this episode, number 60, a two-parter with Karen Keane. We wrap season eight with these two episodes. Thank you for being here. Don't forget to rate and admire this podcast. Yes, still on the admiring podcast train. I'm very pleased, excited, whatever you want to say, to invite our guest Karen Keene to the show. The reason being, Karen has been formative. She didn't know it, but formative for my own journey around understanding how to interpret scripture. Her book, Scripture Ethics and the Possibility of Same-Sex Relationships, I think is the key book to read on the topic of same-sex relationships. Most of the books, in my experience, from the ones I've read, and both positions, affirming and traditional, they cancel each other out. But Karen offers a renewed approach. And not only that, I think Her book, and also this podcast, this episode in two parts, will help you reimagine how to approach Scripture today, especially if you come out of traditions that have a high view of Scripture. So many evangelical traditions have a high view of Scripture. It's very important. But you've realized that the way it's interpreted and handled doesn't make sense in your renewed, deconstructed, or decolonized faith in that interpretation seems to follow within particular biases. Karen comes in and offers a method, an approach to reclaim scripture in a new light, but also one that gives life. So I hope you enjoy. Remember, this is two parts. Part one, we will learn and meet Karen and talk about church traditions in the West, evangelicalism, specifically. And then part two, we will dive further into how not to read the Bible. So enjoy and don't forget, support this podcast where you can leave a review. Let's jump in. And by the way, the first half of the first episode, the audio is a little messed up, but I fix it. For our listeners, would you let us know where you are currently situated and also how you would describe your vocation right now? Yeah, I'm um, in terms of being situated, I'm currently in ministry. I have the Redwood Center for Spiritual Care and Education. And uh, you had asked about um, my educational background and sort of what happened there because I was in a doctoral program and left that program. So it all kind of starts back when I originally went to seminary at Western Seminary. Um, And I love to study scripture and really just went as kind of my expensive hobby. It wasn't something I even thought of when I was younger because that wasn't something that that women could do in the tradition that I came from. Mm. 
Um, but when I went to seminary originally, it was out of a passion for the Bible and and a, and a thirst to know more about God and a thirst to be equipped for ministry. And I didn't have any set agenda when I went. I didn't I didn't think, oh, I'm going to go to seminary so that I can become a pastor. Oh, I'm going to go to seminary to do this. I really just went out of my own hunger, and I absolutely loved it. And thought this is this is what I'm made to do. And so I immediately, when I finished that, said I have to go on. And I, I really felt a, a a draw to get a PhD in biblical studies. And I thought, well, I want to do a little more preparation because. Um, I was formed in an evangelical background, and I mm-hmm. love that mm-hmm. my Baptist heritage gave me a love of scripture and a, mm-hmm. and, and a and there was much about that tradition I love. But I also noticed that there was a gap between uh, what my tradition taught me and the world of biblical scholarship. I could sense that there was something missing. And so I decided to go get a THM at Duke Divinity School in order to better prepare for a doctoral program. And then I subsequently got accepted to Marquette University. And all this time, I really didn't have, again, I didn't have a set agenda of, I knew that I was called to serve God since I was little. I I wanted to, to give my life to God in some way. And so I knew that I wanted a life of service, but I didn't know what the outcome of my training would be. Was was I going to be called to a tenure track mm-hmm. teaching position at a Bible school? Was just going to be for some other type of ministry? And that remained an open question to me well into my PhD program, where I still wasn't sure. But about halfway through my program, I I really started wrestling more intensely with that question and becoming increasingly disenchanted with the academic world. Not really disenchanted in terms of learning, but in terms of not really sensing that I was called to teach within the institution. I was really mm-hmm. feeling a calling to bring scholarship to those outside the institution. I, my passion is making scholarship accessible. And I knew that if I were a tenure track faculty, that the expectation would be that everything that I write pretty much would need to be for other scholars. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wanted to write not just for other scholars, but for a broader range of people um, because there's so much good within that research and that scholarship that never makes its way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does, it's not uh, translated for people. So my, my love is taking all of this complex scholarship and synthesizing it and making it concise and readable for people, because most people are never going to go to seminary or to Bible college. That's the audience I particularly want to reach and not be left out. I don't want those. I don't want the broader audience to be left out of the conversation. So all that to say, I left my PhD program, which was not something you're supposed to do. And what I I had to really wrestle with 
not making a decision based on just trying to earn people's approval, but to really do what I felt my heart was calling me to do. So I was in my fifth year, fifth year of my PhD program in the middle of writing my dissertation uh, when I left to pursue ministry. How would you describe your, your current ministry and what you're doing? So now through the Redwood Center, it's, it's education and spiritual care. So the education piece is making scholarship accessible. And I do that through teaching classes and through writing and through speaking. Um, for example, I have a 10-week course on the Bible, church, and same-sex relationship to help people process that, that challenging topic, as well as a class on the origins of the Bible. I have other classes I'll be teaching, like an introduction to the Old Testament. I have spiritual care, things that I like to offer, so retreats or um, care groups. So some of the care groups I've offered have been a, a faith questions group for people who are trying to sort out their faith, particularly maybe if they've been disenchanted with church or hurt by church, where do they go now with their faith? I have um, taken people through the Ignatian spiritual exercises. I have a um, a video retreat that I just completed and is about to go up on the Ignatian examine. Um, it's a retreat that a colleague and I, Mark Shaw, uh, did through Duke, uh, Duke Clergy Health Initiative for a project that they were doing. And so now we're making it more publicly available. Uh, and that's called Finding God and Examine Prayer Retreat. You mentioned earlier that you didn't want to be confined in your writing, confined within the academy, as it were, and uh, how not everyone goes to Bible college or to seminary to learn uh, about some of the the deeper aspects or nuances of scripture and theology. But as you said that, I was thinking, I know a lot of people and there are probably a lot of traditions where you could go and do those things, go to Bible college, go to seminary, and yet you still come out with, I wouldn't say a biblical illiteracy, but you in fact, are shaped and formed in an entrenchment uh, within particular paradigms mm -hmm. that ultimately work against liberation and wholeness. Now, using those mm -hmm. two words, of course, that kind of situates me for a lot of uh, mm -hmm. uh, listeners, at least along the theological spectrum, mm -hmm. with a passion around teaching the Bible, let's just kind of distill it down. Where would you begin with folks? Because listeners, I think, or even those who would approach a retreat center to find mm -hmm. answers around the questions they have around scripture or their faith, there's a generation of folks who have been, as you alluded to, hurt by the church and mm -hmm. have developed an intense mistrust of the institution that they wouldn't even go to the retreat center or think of it even mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
where do you even start to situate yourself back towards a different and potentially more life-giving relationship with scripture and theology? Mm-hmm. Really great question. And, and that's a question that I've had to answer for myself. And I'm a little bit biased because of my own experience, but I am a big fan of Ignatian spirituality. And the reason for that is because when I was going through Duke Divinity School, I was faced with a lot of research that challenged where I came from. And um, that was part of the reason why I went there, because I knew I was missing something. Mm. I knew I wasn't getting the whole scoop. And I went there on purpose, and I was challenged. And most people who come from an evangelical background that then go to a school to be challenged in that way are end up wrestling with their faith because they realize, mm. oh, wow, there's this whole other yeah. uh, pot whole, of, of whole research. World. Yeah, yeah, whole other world of research out here that has something truthful to say. And how do I navigate that, make sense of that? So I went through a period where the deeper I went in to biblical and theological studies, the more I realized how vast the galaxy was mm. and how intimidating that vast galaxy was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that I didn't actually have all the answers. The answer didn't fit in this one little box, uh, that there was there was so much more. And so how do I keep my faith? Because I came from a propositionally based tradition where my faith was very heavily based on what position I held on a particular theological belief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I was in a if I was in a place of like, well, ah, I don't know. I'm I'm studying all these different things. I'm not quite sure where I'm gonna land with this or that. Then what what is my faith? What is my faith? Where's the foundation? And I was going through my um, spiritual direction training program shortly after Duke Divinity School, and it happened to be through the Faithful Companions of Jesus, which is a congregation of Catholic sisters in the Ignatian tradition. Mm. So that's where I was exposed to Ignatian spirituality. And for those who may not be familiar with that, that just refers to a tradition that grows out of Ignatius of Loyola, who lived in the 16th century, a pastor who um, had a lot of insightful spiritual uh, things to offer us in regard to being a follower of Christ. And one of those was integration of the heart and mind, that we not just do rote religion, that our emotions matter because God created us with emotions and desires. And it's not all cerebral. It's not everything is cerebral. There's an integration between the mind and the heart. And that we want to look for God in daily life. And it was sort of an obvious thing, but I had to be reminded of that. It's not just about propositions. It's, oh, God is alive and and, and active and communicating. And how can I start to look for the movements of the Holy Spirit in daily life? And that is much more of an experiential uh, approach to Christianity. and 
that shaved my faith. I would say that that shaved my faith when I couldn't, when I couldn't um, maybe short out all the, the theology on everything. I could rely on the fact that God is here and God is present and I can pray and respond to the movements of God in everyday life. And and that could be as simple as looking for where do I see the fruit of the spirit? Where am I seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? You know, first John 4 12 says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love is perfected in us. And that's a very experiential way of, of knowing God. And in fact, the um, I did a study on this one time. I looked at the, the word for know in the Old Testament, yada, which God is a direct object. So what did it mean when we really talk about the knowledge of God? Not, not just propositions about God, but it's interesting to see how the knowledge of God and scripture in the Old Testament and into the New Testament has an experiential active quality to it. It The one who knows me knows that I am a God who is just and merciful, you know, compassionate. And that's where uh, you see uh, also in 1 John, um, the one who knows God loves. So knowledge of God is connected to action, connected to a way of life. The one who knows God uh, loves like God loves. So I guess that's a long way of saying that um, that's a good place, I think, to start for people who have been hurt by the church is it's not about getting all of this theology down right now it's it's just about experiencing god and looking for the food of the spirit if i don't know for sure everything about god i do i do know that love is real i can imagine that there are many people who aren't even wrestling with theological inquiry anymore that they have pushed all of that aside Mm-hmm. And they haven't even, and, and in fact, perhaps they have found exercises or practices that are completely outside of their old formation, perhaps not, are not even Christian, whatever that might mean. I appreciated how you spoke of your experience encountering the vastness of theological tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it would include belief systems. But do you find, and would it be, what were your thoughts on this? When we speak of simply formation today in a contemporary sense of how we could do Christian formation, that it would serve us a lot better if we approached our formation at the get-go with a sense of vastness. Yeah, I think that I think what that does is that it is a way of instilling humility. And I think that humility is crucial to spiritual formation. 
So I was trained in such a way as I not only need all the answers, I need to provide all the answers. My faith was hinging on everything being certain and everything fitting in this box. And that, of course, did not uh, instill in me the ability to listen well if somebody from a different faith tradition wanted to share their Mm. thoughts. Uh, because I was the one that had the answers and I needed to tell you what those answers are in order to save your soul. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think the vast galaxy, the sense in which there's a vastness there really instills a humility of there's a great complexity to the world and to theology and to faith. And I, and I don't have all the answers and maybe it would serve me well to listen to what someone else's experience and insights are, and I don't need to be threatened. I've been thinking about Christian formation a lot, and I'd love to hear some of your own thoughts. Um, You know, 2016 was really hard for a lot of Americans. For me personally, it was very challenging because I did not understand how the people I came from could vote for someone that seems so contrary to what I understood to be Christianity and how was it that I was in the minority of that. And it really made me think about what Christian formation is because Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. come from the tradition that goes to church the most, that reads the Bible the most, that is so zealous. And there's so much about that tradition I love and that I carry with me and did form me and has formed me. But there's also was something missing. And I've thought a lot about that. What is, what is, um, and part of it, this is not the whole answer, just one thing that I believe is part of it. And that is, there's so much um, information dispensing in that tradition and not as much reflection as there needs to be about what is love on a very practical, tangible, concrete level. So when I was doing some of my, uh, when I was doing uh, spiritual formation groups at Duke Divinity School, I started taking students through real basic stuff, like what is an emotional bid? And what exactly do we mean when we say love? And what does that actually look like practically on an, everyday level, interpersonal communication. How do I resolve conflict? How do I listen well? And what does it mean to express vulnerability? All of that stuff Mm. that's not Mm. talked about. And that's necessary to Mm -hmm. be formed. Yes. That's so good. Those are, that's not in the 12 week discipleship class. None of those things you just listed. Not often. No, no, no. Uh, and I don't know how that got skipped. I think that we felt like, in, um, in the tradition I come from, that information, if I just have the the right information, then I will be formed. So if I just read pages and pages and pages of the Bible, I will somehow be formed by that. And I do think scripture can transform us, but there's a lot more than just reading it. It's it's how I approach it, my interpretive method, what I what I'm doing with that uh information. 
extricating, of separating, of dissociating our bodies from our minds. And we cease to be able to pay attention to our bodies and what it might be telling us and how mm-hmm. it is part yeah. of our formation. Uh, and instead just sought to fill the mind with, with uh, a bunch of stuff. And then you add in, I, and I think this is a big piece of formation that when you come out of traditions right. that are formed to believe themselves as gatekeepers of truth, that takes on a certain posture. And even if it's deep down inside, that DNA produces a, a, a space where mm-hmm. if you don't have the answers, you wind up in a, a conflict or a crisis of faith. No answers, then you leave it all behind. Uh, rather than, and this is, I think, the juxtaposition uh, of having on one end, and I don't want to make it too linear, but having an expansive vision of how big God can be expressed through all the different traditions and cultures of our world, that humility that you alluded to, that sits in opposition to a type of faith that gatekeeps and is centered around holding on their particular truth, which produces a a very different type of faith. Um, And you have to double down, 2016, you have to double down on preserving whatever aspects you need to have to help you gatekeep, which is power, uh, versus, you know, power versus humility. Like, they just don't mix water and oil. I'll just finish with this thought around the humility piece in that if you're formed in traditions that are about that gatekeeping, about always having the answers, if you're formed there, you don't have a space to fall back on other than to leave it all behind, which is sad because I always advocate for the possibilities that before yeah. you go, could it not be possible, and this is predominantly to those who have, have grown up in more white Euro-centered traditions, But isn't it not possible that God is somewhere Mm -hmm. in all the other traditions in the world and that your tradition was not described as the whole truth of everything? You know, is it not possible that God is somewhere beyond your experience? And it's kind of triumphalist for someone to, and if you got to go, you got to go in terms of leaving your faith. But, uh, move away from that notion that your experience was the only possibility of the expansive love and nature of who God is. You know, I've, I've wrestled with that question too. And I think about Cornelius who was called a mm. man of God before he ever knows the name Christ. I think that there was a movement in which God sent a prophet to share with him who Christ is. But it was intriguing to me to contemplate, here is somebody who is called a seeker of God, who is worshiping God, whereas my tradition would say you have to say this prayer before you can know God. You're you're a complete sinner and a complete heathen, completely out here, if you haven't um, said a certain kind of prayer, whereas I think there is more of a mystery there. I I started to feel that when I read Gandhi's autobiography 
And mm. I started to see, wow, this man, he may, he may be imperfect, but he, as we all are, but he, he clearly wants God. He's clearly seeking after God. Mm. He's clearly trying to uh, be devout and to um, live his life in accordance with God's goodness. That really struck me. His life, his his life, his autobiography, his heart for God, really impressed me. Um, I think there's definitely more of a complexity there in terms of faith. I don't have the answer yeah. on that. I I do believe that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, but I don't see that as something that is uh, something that is meant to exclude people. I think it's something that is much more expansive than we often think. That ends part one of two. There will be a second part on how not to read the Bible as we go deeper around Scripture with Karen Keene. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, rate and admire.